today's reading is Deuteronomy 12, and you can find that in the Pew Bible on page 191, so very near the beginning of the Pew Bible. Deuteronomy 12, and it's on page 191, and it's titled The One Place of Worship. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains and on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars smash their sacred stones and burn their Asherah poles in the fire, cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go, There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone as he sees fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you, so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your manservants and maidservants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Nevertheless, you may slaughter your animals in any of your towns and eat as much of the meat as you want, as if it were gazelle or deer, according to the blessing the Lord your God gives you. Both the ceremonially unclean and the clean may eat it. But you must not eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. You must not eat in your own towns the tithe of your grain and the new wine and oil or the firstborn of your herds and flocks or whatever you have vowed to give or your freewill offerings or special gifts. Instead, you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites from your towns, and you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. Be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. 
When the Lord your God has enlarged your territory as he promised you, and you crave meat and say, I would like some meat, then you may eat as much of it as you want. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter animals from the herds and flocks the Lord has given you, as I, as I have commanded you, and in your own towns you may eat as much of them as you want. Eat them as you would gazelle or deer. Both the ceremonially clean and unclean may eat. But be sure you do not eat the blood, because the blood is the life, and you must not eat the life with the meat. You must not eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. But take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give and go to the place the Lord will choose. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God, both the meat and the blood. The blood of your sacrifices must be poured beside the altar of the Lord your God, but you may eat the meat. Be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshipping their gods you do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. Amen. Good morning, are we on? Are we on? Hello, 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 hello. Hello. There we are, there we are. So welcome. My name's David Barry. I'm a pastor of the church. And um, welcome. It's still snowing. Yeah, as as well. Goodness me. It reminds me of seven years ago um, when... I was getting ready to do a Camino from Seville to Santiago de Compostela. And my final warm-up walk, and I think I did about two, but my final warm-up walk uh, was up at Glen Tilt, and it was snowing, and it was April. And then when I started walking from Seville, my first uh, walk, it was 35 degrees. <laughs> So Glen Tilt didn't really prepare me for Seville. <laughs> Shall we pray and then a wee intro and then we'll start. Father, in your mercy, hear our prayers. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my Redeemer, my Rock, my King, the one in whom I trust. May we have ears to hear and a heart which is open. Your word is powerful. 
like a double-edged sword. Lord, during this time, may we be bloodied as we read your word. May, may it be awkward. May it be inspiring. May it confront us. May it comfort us. Lord, I pray that the distractions of everything else would be held back and our heart's desire as we come expectant would be that we would hear your voice and know what you're saying to us. In the name of Christ Jesus, the risen King. Amen. We're going through the book of Deuteronomy. In nine weeks, no less. And it was a privilege for me last week to have uh, the former principal of Glasgow Bible College, Reverend C. Peter White, and he preached from the Shema. I just sat there with a big smile on my face. You wouldn't have seen it. I was just loving every moment of it. And uh, yeah, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy, which is quite unfamiliar to many of us. We do, obviously, in our through the Bible in a year, go through Deuteronomy. But I suspect that passages like this, we skip by quite quickly. It's a short, quiet time that day. Because it's speaking of things quite foreign to us, blood, sacrifices, and all sorts of things. And it, it can um, cause us to glaze over and to think of something else. But this section in Deuteronomy from chapter 12 through to chapter 26, Moses is unpacking the law. He's unpacking more of what the Lord has laid in his heart. What is the story? What is the context? For those of you who are not familiar, for those who have heard this before, it's a recap. The Lord has brought his people out of slavery. He heard their cry. Um, the timing was perfect. And the Lord rescued them from their enemies who were too strong for them. He took them from a place of disaster and he put them in a place of pasture. And what happened was the great exodus. And we know how they, they traveled a great multitude of them and they went through the, the, the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And, they were, and through that waters, their enemies were defeated. But they were saved through the waters. And then you have them on... 11 days away from the promised land. Spies were sent out. 11 days to experience what the people had desired for for generations. 400 years they were in slavery. And they had 11 days to taste this. And the spies were sent out from all of the tribes. And one from each uh, tribe. And it was from the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Judah. It was Caleb and Joshua who came back and said... Yes, their cities are big, they are bigger than us, and they're fortified, but it's a wonderful land, and it's flowing with all sorts of fruit. We can take them because God is on our side, but the other spies from the ten tribes says, no, we can't. Democracy rather than theocracy won out, and they refuse to, go into, to enter into the Lord's rest. It's their story. And so... As a consequence of that disobedience and lack of faith, a warning to us all, the Lord says, you will not enter into my rest. This whole generation, bar from a few from Caleb and Joshua's family will enter in. You will wander and die in your lack of faith. And so for 40 years, we know that they wandered, or give or take, a few days here and there. And now, it's a new generation the old generation made the covenant with the Lord 
And so now Moses has been told by the Lord, you neither will go into the promised land, but you've got one week to share with this new generation, this, this covenant that their forefathers have brought them into, of what I have covenanted an eternal covenant with them. It's up to you now to share them and to teach them and to educate them before they are scattered into the promised land. And that's what's happening here in Deuteronomy. Moses is going over all that's been promised, all that they have promised, and he's unpacking it for this new generation. The 99% of them who don't remember any of the old uh, covenant that was made by their fathers because they've all died out over that 40 years of wandering in the desert. So that's where we're at. And Moses is sitting there, one day preaching, maybe another day reciting. However it goes, there's a number of sermons uh, the, the scholars believe are, are in this, but he unpacks it in one week. And here we are. And you see, as Elaine read, that it's called One Place of Worship. So the overall theme of today is worship. Although I'm not going to go into a big theology of worship, I'm going to mention three things. Three, uh, yeah, let's just say things. I can't think of a better word. <laughs> of what's happening in this passage that has got lots of teaching for us. So maybe in unfamiliar words, we may think that's the old and we're the new. I don't believe that's the case. And there is much here for us to glean and worship and how we live, being filled with the Holy Spirit, born again with the Lord and becoming like Christ increasingly. So that's where roughly we're going to go. I'm going to do it in three headings. I'm going to talk about how uh, initially they were scattered out into the promised land, but they were told to regather. So that's that first word, regather. And it just so happens all my words start with an R, which is very good for a change. So they're to regather. And as they regather, they're to recall the redemption. And they've got lots of different sacrifices and offerings that they've to give to remember the redemption that the Lord has brought. And in all of this, the third word is rejoice. And it's there many times in the passage. So with this regathering in together at the one place, Jerusalem, where the Lord has commanded them to, to congregate, having been scattered out, they're to, at that point in their worship, remember the redemption that the Lord has brought. And in that, they will rejoice. And that's what we're going to look at today. Is everybody with me? Great, here we go. And I'm going to put everything up there, so if, if you get lost, then hopefully this will bring you back. But I did this at stupid o'clock this morning, so I don't know if it will make much sense. I've been to Perth this morning already, so you'll forgive me. So, there we are. Chapter 11, verse 31. This is a context we read this teaching on worship. The Lord says, you God's people, children of God, you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you. And when you have taken it over and, and, living, and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you today. Let's read on a bit further. Chapter 12, verse 1. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord the God of your fathers has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. 
So this is a command, not exactly a suggestion. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains and on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Destroy their form of worship. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. And Asherah poles were phallic, phallic symbols. Is that the right terminology I'm using? That's what they were. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. Because this is how the Canaanites worshipped. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the people who were in this land, this was their form of worship. And the Lord says, as you scatter in there, as you go among them, as you live with them, and actually drive them out, they were commanded to drive them out and completely drive out their form of worship, God says, destroy don't assimilate. Don't be like the Borg in Star Trek. Destroy completely. Now to us in Scotland, this new type of socialism, progressive politics, whatever they call it, where our whole, uh, the, the whole story that we seem to hear time after time again, and I say it's one side of a story, is that we are to be an inclusive community. And then by being an inclusive community, we just are not allowed to pass judgment on any way of worship or life that others are involved in because we need to live peacefully with one another. Respect other people's expression. And in one breath, that is good. But the Lord says here, where you go and settle as my people, called by my name and bearing my name. Destroy, break down, smash, burn, cut down, wipe out. To some ears and certainly to many ears in our culture, that is barbaric. It's the bloodthirsty God of the Old Testament. The one that the loving, accepting New Testament Jesus has replaced, some people may say or think. And I say no to that. Because I believe the Lord is the same today, yesterday, and forever. As I read in Scripture, throughout Scripture, not just a verse plucked from here and there. But I will pluck a verse out because I can't, I've got a lot to pack in this morning. Revelations chapter 19. Jesus meek and mild, all loving, all accepting. And it says this of him. And I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which with 
to strike down the nations. He will rule with them. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written on it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For me, it gives me goosebumps as I read that. Emotion wells within me as I think of my Lord Jesus, and that is who he is. The same yesterday, today, and forever. All of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. A supposed kid's song that we periodically sing in here, but which speaks of full and total worship. God says today, anything that stands in front of him, in front of the worship, the total full worship of him, God says this, destroy, break down, smash, burn, cut down, wipe out. Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. We sing it, but with a nice melody that makes it sound good. Break me, Lord, break within me all that sets me up as Lord of my life. Smash me, cut it down. Even if it's sore and it's hard and I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because I know that you will continue to pursue that within my life until that day I see you face to face or even you return in your glory. There's something hard about facing up to our difficulties in our life our character difficulties. I believe that we, our devout position after the fall is that we want to be the center of our life. We love ourselves. We think everybody else should love us. We desire good things. Um, and we, we want it be for us. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he takes us through a process of transformation. And he will continue to do that slowly or quickly, often depending on our will. Do we will it? Do we want it to happen? Only recently, and I'm, I really do mean recently, I've been working at this thing of letting go. Letting go, letting go. Because by letting go, it's less hard. By holding on to the, to the things that I'm precious about and feel called about, and, and, and gives me umption and my gumption about, sometimes it gets in the way of the Lord being the Lord of my life. They were being scattered into the promise and to the rest of the Lord, but the Lord says, do not assimilate. Do not be like them. Whether now or then, God demands total worship. It is not a suggestion. It is a demand. Verse 29 of chapter 12. He reiterates what he says right at the beginning of this passage on worship. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in the land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You will not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things 
that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. Pagan worship back then is no different from now, minus maybe the burning of sons and daughters. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, 32 onwards. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever worships me in this world, I will acknowledge him as a worshiper before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And Jesus goes on to say, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, you may not like your mother or your father, and so maybe you think you're off the hook because they're not very nice people. But Jesus goes on to say, anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's a wee bit trickier not to love our own offspring. But sometimes family ties can consume us in our worship of the Lord. His place in our lives is to be our God and it's a place for him and for him alone. So they are scattered out. And I love how Jesus in the passage in John 17 says something like this to the Father. Um, I've not kept, something like, I've not kept them from the world. I've not insulated them from the world. I've sent them out into the world, Lord. But by your Spirit, I go with them. So the Lord sends us out to the wolves and, all, and out there and all of the ugliness of the world to be salt and light. And in that place, he wants to gather us back in for true worship. So we are to be wary of the world's seductions. According to Moses, as he is giving advice to this new generation who are about to go into that which the Lord has promised and their hearts are like that. They're excited. They can taste it. And the Lord says, be, be wary who you worship. The Lord will not take second place. And while they were worshipping, they were um, in the, the wilderness, they were refugee people, they were in a tent city. Now it's going to be different. Now they are going to over the Jordan and scatter, but they're to regather. And there's, there's a message here for us. They're to regather and they're to do it frequently. Moses uh, prescribes three mandatory festivals that are to happen in Jerusalem. You've got Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, all important feasts for the whole nations. And any men who are living in the nearby vicinity, they, it was, they had to come within a certain uh, radius. But, but the nation 
We're encouraged where it's expected to come to at least one, to gather fully as a nation at least one of these important festivals. Now, we are in the custom to gathering once a week, and then in a small group, we gather together in that mini sort of church. When Miranda and myself were young, we were involved with King's Kids YWAM, and we had a number of people... I can't remember if they says the Lord has tell me that you have to do this, but there was always an encouragement to go into YWAM, as Claire, one of our mission partners, is in YWAM. But the honest truth is, YWAM Community Living would have killed me, or I would have killed someone in YWAM Community Living. That base living with all sorts of people, I just, it's something I knew was not for me. But we're in a different place. We're out there scattered about the, the nation and then we come back on a Sunday and it's important. It's important, as we know, that famous verse, and again, I'm picking a verse out, but a famous verse from Hebrews where the writer says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, even in the early church, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, as we move towards the return of Jesus, and we, ever since the resurrection, ever since Pentecost, we are in the end days. This is the last time. The apostle Paul knew that when he was so venomously against Jesus, uh, the idea that he was the Messiah, but as he was going to Damascus and he met the risen Christ and then was filled with the Holy Spirit, he as a good Jew, knowing his scripture, knew that that was what was expected in the last days. The Messiah would come and the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not for just a certain time in a certain place, but in all peoples, as we know in the prophets. And so Paul knew that even in his time, it was the end times and he was waiting and we wait for the return of Jesus. It's going to get increasingly darker. It's going to get increasingly scarier. And in fact, what we say and what we teach our children and our culture is getting precarious. I know it all too well, having a 12-year-old, even in Pitlochry High School, the way in which we as parents have to counsel and reassure and affirm because of the many stories that my 12-year-old is getting from our culture that undermine who he thinks he is. Scary stuff. You've said it many times, and I'm saying it increasingly, I'm so glad I'm not a teenager in today's day, and I worry about my future. Grandchildren. God willing. Why do we come together? To get reorientated as a family. It's important. I would say, if on any given Sunday you've never talked to Roy Dowsett, speak to Roy. Get out of the way of just speaking to the people you know. And I know we're not a huge family, but I... I there's, there's a, if you don't know Julie or Bruce or Matt, if you don't know Margaret and Rosemary, David and Amanda, who were married in this place and have come back to visit, in any given week, come out of your little group that you know and speak to other people. 
Do you know that every week my ex sits up there? So does Aidan, but he never hears us. <laughs> to reorientate ourselves as family is so, so, so important. To worship in song, to lift our voice and to be silent. To hear God's word and to get on the same page, page worship together as koinonia, as family. Because the church will never, ever go out of style. Is it in loneliness as people in front of the screen all too often? And you've seen it, people walking in a group down the road and every single one of them are on a smartphone or on a phone and they're not talking. Or you're in a restaurant and there's a young couple sitting with their, their daughter or their son in a high chair and they're both on their tablets or they're periodically talking and they're not talking to their kid because their kid is on their iPad. Loneliness, isolation increases. As long as the church stays biblical, it will never go out of style. And it's okay to watch TED Talks. It's brilliant to have to sit at people's feet through podcasts and sermons online, but there's just something about gathering together. Maybe it's part of that process of the Lord rubbing us up against one another so that we become less of a rough diamond and something pure in the Lord's sight. So we need each other's family. That's the first long one. I'm going to be extremely quick now in these shorter ones. He goes on to speak of when they come together, uh, he speaks of what it means to celebrate redemption. And for them, it was offerings. There were five offerings. They're up there. I'm not going to go through them. But five different types of offerings that they were to bring as a people as an act of worship. Whether it be at the tabernacles they wandered or at the temple when it was fully uh, uh, built and during that time as well, in that wee passage, probably from 15 to 25, about there, you see a lot of mention of the blood, of the pouring out and the shedding of the blood, and it's frequently mentioned in there, and, and I'll leave that for you to look. In Scotland, there is actually a lot about don't touch blood, pour it out, don't consume it. And we're a nation of a bit in rebellion on that because it's stolen away black pudding, and I know it's <laughs> one or two people's favourites something in scripture here that speaks about that now you may say yeah but that's in the old testament you know i'll come to that in a second but the the thing about blood and the consuming of blood and why moses was saying here don't have anything to do with it because in pagan mythology or, or worship they believed that if you took the blood of say a lion you had the the strength of a lion or if you took the blood and consumed the blood of a gazelle, you were free as a gazelle, or you were as strong as an ox, whatever it may be. So there was a lot of superstition involved in that life of the body and the blood. And so the Lord says, no, don't, pour it out. And because of that command here in, in Deuteronomy 12, the Jews developed this system of purity, we know the word kosher, which means something like okay or all right or, or clean. And where a priest would, would decide how uh, an animal would be killed and how the meat would be cut and how the blood would be drained and how it would be washed because they were passionate about not having anything to do with blood. It had to be poured out in a certain way and it was an act of worship. And although that's Old Testament, it is a bit of New Testament as well. 
when the Gentiles and Acts were being saved, this created quite a, a furore in the church. What are we to do with these unclean Gentiles? How should we direct them in what is proper in their worship? And then we read of how the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 decided this is how these Gentiles are to be uh, as they worship the Lord. And they said, it is my judgment, it's our judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them and telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, because it's all about worship, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And the New Testament church was saying, be careful with your your, uh, your black, your stonaway black puddings. Might be off the B&B &B menu from that. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. I'm just throwing that in there to, to say that there's something interesting about the blood. Now, when Jesus uh, uh, was here, he didn't say, erect a statue, erect a statue in remembrance of me. He didn't say, create a plaque where I preached the Sermon on the Mount, and always at that place you will know that that's where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount because it's a nice wee historical blue plaque. What Jesus says was this, when you remember me, have a meal together. He said, take the elements that speak of my broken body and my shed blood and remember the redemption that you're experiencing. As you gather, having been scattered, hear these five feasts that you must remember, and these three in particular. They're, they're commandments of the Lord in this form of worship so that your worship may be acceptable to the Lord. And Jesus says, when you meet, break bread in my name. Pour and remember the blood and consume so it's a priority for us to have communion. And here is my shameless plug for 30 seconds. I sent an email out. I've had one person saying that they are willing to prepare communion. So we've got communion this month, but we've not got communion next month. Please respond to my email. It is important. But if you do not think it's for you to be involved in it, don't. This is no guilt. This is a reminder that it's important that when we regather, remember our redemption we celebrate the cross of jesus christ and finally and very quickly we have to enjoy the lord we have to rejoice and you've got that in a few verses rejoice is mentioned in 7 11 12 uh, to 12 and 18 and it's a funny wee word re rejoice it's a happy wee word but it's not a suggestion and every single time here it is a command we are commanded to rejoice. Rejoice means to feel, to show uh, delight and joy. But rejoice in what? Well, Deuteronomy 12, verses 9 and 10, gives us the answer to what we are to rejoice in. Certainly to the people who are going into the promised land. Since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God has given you, 
but you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you, and you will live in safety. We rejoice in the fact, as Psalm 18 says, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He took hold of me from my enemies who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster. But because the Lord delights in me, he placed me in a place of pasture or rest where I could be. So we can't just force a nice rejoicing smile. But it comes from reflecting on what the Lord has done for us. What are we thankful for? What is there to be thankful for? Romans. Paul goes on about this time and time and time again. And I'm just want to read this very quickly. He says, you see, just at the right time, when you were powerless, this is why we should rejoice. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? God's wrath is still coming. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? But why is it that we Christians still go about with a big frown on our face? A relaxing face is not very nice. It's an honest question. I'm not saying go back to the 80s charismatic renewal movement we're all wearing Jesus t-shirts or anything like that. But we should be people who bring about a peace, about a joy, about a hope. Are we joker too? We should be. If we believe what Paul has written down in Romans as, as being a reality, I am saved by the blood of Christ. I need not fear the wrath of God. But I walk in the dust of my, my rabbi and he is saving me day after day after day. Redeemed and justified now being sanctified, transformation, metamorphosis. I can honestly say in the discipleship group that I've been involved in for two plus years, I can see a definite change in the people in our group because of koinoina, if I say the word right. We journey together, we show tough love, we pray, we read scripture, we socialize, and I can see Jesus more than my guys. And hopefully they can see Jesus more than me. Than me. So right now, I leave you with this question. What is Jesus doing? Right now, where is he? I believe he's at the right-hand side of the Father. What is he doing? Is he scowling because the evil one is still at work and his time has not fully come yet? Is he anxious because of coronavirus or because of slavery or because of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer? Is he frustrated and angry and, and anxious? I don't think that is Christ-like. I think Jesus 
is radiant, full of joy, and rejoicing in the Father's glory because he knows it is finished. And I think he is the embodiment of joy. What is a Christian? A follower of Christ, a little Jesus. So as we leave here, we will be scattered into wherever the Lord is sending us. Whether it be this fellowship, whether it be a, a small group, we need to gather back in together and bring our contribution to the life of that community. We need to come expectantly. We pray at 10 o'clock in here. We get ourselves ready for this time. You're welcome. And we will always glory in the cross of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished there and sure hope and expectation that he will return again to judge the living and the dead. And we rejoice. And hopefully in time, well, definitely in time, those frustrations, those bouts of depression, those compulsion to be anxious or judgmental or irritable, those domestics in our house behind closed door that very few people can see, that um, hunger for money and position, all of those things that we know are not Christ-like will drop away as we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.